Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. Uh, got a big boy show here today, D'Anthony. We got a real man on our hands Ooh. today. A real man. Not that fake shit you pretend to be every day. Yeah. We got a real man on this show. Okay, it's about we got, time. We got Jim Shockey in this Mogwai today. You name it, you've hunted it, Jim. You ever punch a, a rhino in the face with your bare hands? No, I've been close enough to, but uh, I've darted them. So what stopped you, Jim? I mean, look, I know this might be aggressive at the top of the show here. What stopped you from holding back? Because I'm sure you were out in the bush somewhere, just real pissed off, kind of hungry. And uh, you probably looked at that rhino for a split second. You were like, you know what? Instead of shooting this thing, I'd rather just go up and punch it. Uh, It's not quite how it works when you're out in the woods with the rhino or the savannah uh wouldn't be wouldn't be something that uh, would cross my mind i, I gotta say i probably i think a little bit of darwin comes involved there when you uh yeah when you want to walk up and touch a rhino what's up uh t- what, do you have any advice for tourists in yellowstone national park who think that trying to pet bison is a good idea <laughs> well again you, you is darwin at, at work uh you know the survival of the fittest if, they, if they're going to walk up to a wild animal they, and you know part of it is the disservice with uh you know started with bambi and and disneyfying everything so mm. people don't realize they're, they're wild animals and you're the softest thing when you're standing beside a bison trying to get your selfie with it but hey, Jim, it's worth it. I'm gonna be honest, man. Yeah, if you for get the, the gram, shot, if you get the shot, you yeah. get the shot. You get the shot. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, if you get likes, that's what it takes. You're death and wonderful. All you have to do is be faster than the animal, and that's, no, 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 no. That's you have to be faster than the other guy. So you bring a decoy with you, okay? Like your dumbest friend. Bring yep. your dumbest friend with you and just have him stand Joel. there. Joel's yeah. my dumbest friend. Put him in a clown outfit so he's super bright. Easy. He does that on a on a weekly basis. Yeah, and then you run up, snap, yep. and then you run and you throw him down to the ground as you're running. Oh, Joel would be raped by that thing, probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim, you've been everywhere around the world here, and uh, and then you got a new book out. Now the new book. Is uh is actually fiction here? Call me Hunter, Jim Shockey. Right? Am I correct? You're going the Jack Carr route. Yeah, it, it, I mean it's it's uh, in the fictional thriller category, but I, I think it would qualify more as a an autobiographical abstract fictional thriller. Uh, there's there's a lot of truth in it, uh, it, it, it autobiographical truth. But when I say the the uh, 80% of it is true, and the 20% that would put anybody in jail, that's that's the fiction part. Sure. So it's it, it'll be up to everybody to decide what's what's true and what's not. And you told me a couple of weeks ago when we spoke that you started writing this when you were a kid, in your head anyways. Yeah, I, I was 10 years old uh, when I – well, at 10 years old is when I knew I'd be a novelist, and I you know, tried to tell my story, but uh, – <clears throat> obviously at 10 i couldn't write and i had no story to tell so i, I wrote the first words Juvago was dead i hunted him down and i killed him in 1997 that first page 
and then put it away again because I hadn't lived enough life yet to uh, to uh, have a story to tell. So in 2019, I uh, sat down and picked up that first page again and uh, and finished finished the story. That's wild, man. I mean, uh, you know, all these years later, I guess, what what was the, the deciding factor to, to say, okay, <laughs> I'm going to hop back into this and give this a real go and actually put this yeah. out to is the it world? Like a, is it like, a, like it started with uh, the, the animal you hunted before? That was one of them. And then you, is it, was there another like rite of passage you, uh, or a line you crossed or some accomplishment that, that sparked on the new period of writing or what happened? No, no, it, it was it was time. Mm. I had a story to tell by then. At 2016, I determined that 2019, October in Mozambique would be my last international trip uh, because 2019, November, I needed to sit down and start writing this story. I'd lived life enough now to have the story to tell. So, so it was. Uh, it, there was no epiphany. It was. It was a pretty orchestrated, thought out you know, scheduled plan, you know, you run out of life. I could have kept going. It's a lot of fun to, to keep traveling around and around and around the world and being on adventures. But, but then I never would have got the novel done. And that was uh, one of the things that I absolutely needed to do in my life. That's, I mean, heck, I've been, I've been living life to be able to tell that story for almost 60 years at that point. And now that it's done, and now that the book is coming out into the world, it's Simon and Schuster. You got a big boy publisher and all that stuff. Are you going to go back out and kill again? Because it, you know, I'm looking at you now in the eyes here on Zoom, and it looks like you're still an absolute trained killer who wants to be back out there, and you have no uh, wish to sit inside a Holiday Inn. <laughs> I think I'm in a La Quinta right now, but uh, oh, is that what it uh, is? I was trying to figure it out. Damn it, man! I know my <laughs> shitty hotels. No, yeah, yeah, should have known. You're pretty close. Uh, you know, the I, I will still hunt because I live a field to table lifestyle. So I, I, you know, I don't go buy a cow like most people do or a steak. I, I go out and get my moose, and and that's what we eat. Or caribou this year. I went out and got a caribou. So. You know, I'll still continue to do that, but um, but to travel around the world on those adventures, I, I have to write a sequel. It was a two book deal, so I've got to sit down at some point here once this book tour is over and and uh, finish off the story because it, I didn't get it all told in that first first uh, book. I actually envisioned it being three books to begin with. Um, I might be able to do it in two. I'm not sure, but uh, but no, no, I'm I'm not uh, heading out on the the big adventures anymore i don't run as fast anymore and and i don't see as well i don't hear as well so it, it, it would basically be giving myself a death warrant if i went back and tried to do all that stuff over again what kind of animal do you think would kill you and do you have a dream one um i'll go back to legends of the fall when tristan aka brad pitt gets <laughs> killed by that bear at the end and they were like well that's what he wanted is there an animal out there where you're like, shit, man, if I had to go, this one animal would be rad. Like if a, a, if a puma, a live puma came after me and tore my eyes out. Like how the Spartans used to dream of a quote-unquote beautiful death yeah. in combat or whatever? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Spartans ever dreamed about getting killed by a, a warthog. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, no, but no, no. It, I hope it, not. It was not a, <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, you know, if, if I fail at my job, 
then that means the animal kills me. So, so I, I have no intention and have no dream of being a failure in my life. Why would I start now? I've survived. I have many friends that aren't here, you know, that, that uh, took the wrong step at the wrong time and, and got mauled or, or trampled or, you know, killed one way or another. And, and uh, so, no, no, there's no animal that I would ever, not one single one, uh, maybe human is about the only one that I hopefully, even then, I hopefully I can avoid it. The whole idea of life is to survive and live, not not to dream about figuring out how to get eaten by a whale. Jim, Jim I'm just asking. I'm not saying you know, you're having dreams of sushi or anything like that. But <laughs> if it did happen, let's say you were out there, a boot got loose and it ended up in, you know, some quicksand and you're like, oh shit, this is the end of it. What's the one animal that you wish would rip your face clean off your body and you could say to yourself, I died like a warrior. Today. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think anybody wants to get, because we've seen multiple bear attacks on film now, uh-huh. right? The one with Leo, what was that one? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, the Revenant, the Revenant, yep. and then well, uh, Legends of the Fall. I don't yeah. know. Was the attack on camera for that one though? I think it just, was, and then they cut. It was a hard cut. But it once wasn't. He goes up to the bear. Yeah, it was like a nineteen seventy sexy, and yeah, it wasn't yeah, he's like, an old man yeah, yeah. at that point, but he's still giving it his all. Yeah, I can picture you Not in my bear, mind because bears I, I fuck around with you too much. I said Puma because that's what I want. I want a Puma. I think it'd be fast. Have you seen those fuckers, Jim? God, I mean, it would just rip, 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 rip my face clean off, and Maybe, I'd be like, oh. What about a boa? Just strangles you. No, I don't want that. I don't want a bow or a python where it's just, it's too weak for me. Like it, feeling your bones crush and you're doing it. You're like, ah, shit. I want something glorious where it's just absolute blood, gore, and destruction. Not a lot of pain, maybe 14, roughly 18 seconds worth of it where the blood is spurting out all arteries. And I'm like, oh, shit, the puma got me, Jim, the puma. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's just kind of the antithesis of uh, what you do when you're out there. So you, the idea is to survive, not dream. I mean, Hollywood, I guess, if that's probably sells tickets. But uh, the reality of an animal ripping your guts out and eating it while you're alive is is a pretty horrid thing if you see it. Or, or uh, you know, being pulled under by a crocodile. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, there's nothing romantic about it. It's horrible. I mean, they twist you around, twist you around, pull you under, and and you know you'll never get away. It's it's a terrible, terrible place to to, to even put your mind. The idea is to survive, not to glorify <laughs> getting I, ripped apart by a, a warthog. Holy cow, Jim! I I get it. I'm just saying, if it had to happen, like hypothetical. Let's say I played you a guy getting torn to shreds by a bear right now. If you heard it, you'd be like, holy shit, you really did it. Um, we've got another show over here called Ross Patterson Revolution. We have this thing called Nature Nook, and it's people dying by animal attacks out in the woods. And it's like a five-minute segment we do once a week over there. And the guy's audio that we use in the background is the guy from Grizzly Man. Do you know him? Yeah. Can you hear that, Jim? Yeah, I do. That was he. Uh, was which one was he? Was he the uh, not Grizzly Adams? Was he the guy up in the Alaska that got him and his girlfriend got killed? Yes. And eaten? Yes. Well, I don't think the yeah. girlfriend died. Yeah. Did she? she died? She died too. Oh shit! Did yeah. she not run away? What the fuck? Well, she's screaming, "Fight back! Fight back!" Um, that was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. That was uh, someone who should have been in in a psych ward, not out there looking after another lady. Yeah, terrible, sad.
I agree. Wasn't that the craziest shit of all time? Like once I heard that and saw it, uh, and then obviously we play the audio once a week, so it's a nice reminder of that sitch, uh, more of what I shouldn't do in this life. And sometimes, you know, we all need that reminder, that little tap on the shoulder, you know, <laughs> the devil's on this side, the angel's on the other, friend. And uh, sometimes you need to hear it to know that you shouldn't do it. When I heard it with that dude, I was like, why the fuck would he ever do this? And uh, yeah, him and his girlfriend got torn to bits. I will say this. You do hear her saying, fight back, fight back. She's into it where she's like, look, I think we can win this battle. Obviously, they didn't. And they both perished. Yeah, it's, a, it's an urban version of what nature's all about. And, and it, it, you know, like I say, it's, it, it glorifies it. But it, it's a, it was a terrible thing. I mean, his responsibility was to look after the lady, not not get her killed with him because he's got some ideology that uh, he's willing to die for. It, but again, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a practical, real vision of what the world's like out there in, in nature. And, and you must see all kinds of footage of that, of the, you know, the zebras crossing the Zambezi River or wherever it is, or up in the Serengeti and crocodiles pulling them under, and, you know, lions already eating the insides of a of a whatever a, a wildebeest while it's still alive. I mean, it, it's a nature is a harsh, harsh thing, and it's fun to talk about it in a studio. But when you're out there and you see death, and you see you see the result, I mean, it's it's final. There's nothing beautiful about it at all. Not not when it get torn apart. So, I, like I say, what that lady got, I thought that was a I thought that was one of the most sorrowful things I'd ever seen was that the disnification of wild animals taken to the point where people believed it. It's not, it's, it's not Bambi, mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's not Thumper and, and uh, you can call me flower if you want to. I mean, th this is uh, nature is a harsh, harsh, harsh place to be. And, and like I say, the idea when you're out there is to survive and avoid avoid all those situations, not not to uh, not to actually seek them out. But he did. He yeah. did. Yeah. So you're saying Harry and the Hendersons is not a documentary. That's not a real thing. Jonathan Lithgow yeah. lied to us, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that the uh, wasn't that the Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. 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 Do, you believe, do you believe in Sasquatch? By the way, do you think there's a couple out there? Because there was footage of it two weeks ago. Did you see the footage from the train of the Sasquatch? And have you ever yeah, seen that out in the wild? Yeah. yeah, you know, I I spend my life out there in the wildlands. I, I'm just, I guess, Sasquatch spends you know their life close to trains because uh, <laughs> out, out in the uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you know, unless unless unless, and I know there'll be lots of people that believe, a lot of people are making a lot of money on it, but. Oh, yeah. uh, Unless Sasquatch flies, you know, as well, which maybe they do for all I know. I don't know. That's, yeah. uh, that would make yeah. a lot of sense. Um, there, there's just no sign and there's not enough, um, and there's just no proof. And, and I, too many of us that spend our lifetimes out in the wildlands, you know, we know that. The, um, you know, I, I would say it's a nice thing to think about. It's kind of, you know, and, and, and really, you know, I don't want to say that I'm right because you never know. And every civilization, every culture that I've been in, the Himalayas, Yeti, you know, those, those abominable snowman legends 
or in any of these old cultures, even our, our Salish culture on the Northwest Coast, their dance sticks will have, uh, uh, you know, the Sasquatch on them carved into them. And, and so who am I to say it doesn't exist? I, I would say that there's a lot of times human beings need to to be able to to get to the next day, they have to somehow slot things and and say and organize things and say, okay, well that's a Sasquatch that did that, so that's how we you know kids disappear. Well, it's Sasquatch, okay, you know when the truth is probably a lot worse than than Sasquatch. So I, I think we. It's oh, you think of, predator? Yeah, you think predators out there, alien? I, you know, again, <laughs> you know, send me to hell so i can hunt the devil you know i need something to test my metal i Fuck yeah I, I it would be it'd be fun to believe that there's a a predator out there to to give a challenge to those of us that are professionals in that industry i'd love to be able to go head to head with them or face to face or dreadlocks to dreadlocks or yeah. muscles to muscles whatever it is but uh I, I yeah i don't think it's uh probably happening in our in our lifetime but that doesn't mean that that there hasn't been someone from outer space come down here and hunt dinosaurs who knows yeah. how do we ever, how would we ever know yeah we'll, that's, we'll a, that's a good know. that's a good point and i think um <clears throat> you know space tourism is probably going to be one of the things that drives the space travel industry mm-hmm. right space tourism tourism and probably mining i guess to get yeah. you know lithium cobalt all these things that we need now for all the stupid technology we have I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't rich people. Like, rich people pay to go hunt in the bush these days. Why wouldn't they go pay to hunt some alien species on another planet? Yeah, right? I agree. If it's out there, you know, sign me up and let's go kill that thing. Well, I mean, you want to... Have sex with it first, but yeah. Well, no, you want to see if it's... You don't want to just indiscriminately kill things. No, 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 not at all. But I'm saying if I felt threatened or whatever and I had sex with it and then afterwards I felt kind no, of No, no, I'm danger. talking about if, it, if you could eat it or something. Oh, Presumably it, it would be it, carbon life form, but it may breathe like... There's, I, I think, uh, is it Titan that has a methane atmosphere? So we are, we're like 78% nitrogen, 21% yeah. oxygen, and then some, some other bullshit. Um, but I think Titan is mostly methane. So I don't know if we could eat that meat. It might taste like shit, like sulfur, you know? Yeah, you definitely want to have sex with it first to kind of give it a, a shot. Maybe a lick, a couple of licks here and there. Yeah. I'm, I, not, I'm not eating something that smells like sulfur, Me Bob. Neither. That's disgusting. Yeah, that is gross, Bob. Uh, so, Jim, uh, if you were face-to-face with a Sasquatch, do you take the shot? Do you pull the trigger? Do you kind of you go up and give it a handshake first? Where do you live in that space? The two of you guys lock eyes. Do you try to communicate first? Do you, you squeeze that trig? <laughs> you know, if you're going to point a gun at something, you, you, know, you better have a license for it to, to take that shot. I mean, imagine, just think about that question. Yeah. You would be the most vilified, you know, hated person. Your death threats. I mean, I don't know what your guys' record is. Mine's eighty-eight in twenty-four hours, but that would. I mean, you'd be in the millions. So I mean, think about it. What? What really? What would you do? You know, shoot it, kill, kill something that you don't even know what it is. It could be a sentient being. I mean, it's smart enough to avoid a lot of smart people. And, and only be seen by a lot of the other people. So, so you know, who would want to kill it? I, I can't see. Be, I don't know. Maybe, but, I mean, who knows? Maybe we're going to revert back to the colonial days, like the Victorian era, where they were shooting 
gorillas, you know, just to bring their skins back. Um, you know, maybe someday down the road that'll happen. Who knows? Maybe the army of Sasquatches will come up. I, that, we'll that, have to shoot. Be great. That brings up an interesting question, actually. Um, you, you're a bit of a, I don't know if amateur historian is the right word because you put together a pretty impressive collection of stuff at your museum. But when, when did conservationism begin? Because you're right, back, even as recent as the Victorian era, we were just wholesale slaughtering whatever animal we ran into without any kind of concern that they were going to go extinct at some point. But when did, when did the, a modern conservation, maybe you would call it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say Theodore Roosevelt. You know, he, he was really the, one of the godfathers of our North American uh, wildlife management model. And, and that was because passenger pigeons, the bison, um, you know, we wiped them out, ducks. There was hardly any waterfall because it was, it was commercial market killing to supply a demand in the urban centers. That's what all that was. And also to make space in, in these, uh, you know, the, the plains. And, and I suppose, you know, there, there'd be argument to say they did it on purpose so that the uh, Native Americans would have nothing to eat. So, so once they realized that they'd accomplished that goal, they'd open up the West, they'd, you know, fed all the city people, the ducks and the passenger pigeons, then I think they realized we were headed towards catastrophe in terms of wildlife. There was very few elk, very few white-tailed deer now. I mean, there's more of all those species now than there was at the turn of the beginning of the 20th century. So, yeah, Theodore Roosevelt would have been the the godfather of all the modern conservation movement. Yeah. And he, you know, the national park system and all that stuff was kind of his baby. Although he did allegedly punch a bear in the face. Sure did. What do you think, Jim? He punched that bear square in the beak, dude. And you know, he lived to tell about it. That could be you is all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I I think there's a little bit of marketing and, uh, and urban, urban wishing legends on that one. Uh, Nope, all I true. I highly don't. Yeah. All yeah. true, Jim. Hate to say it, friends. Just because you don't want to do it doesn't mean others haven't. Uh, no, I wanna... no, I, hey, Tolkien, Tolkien was right about the dragons, too. And they're, they're, uh, the orcs, they're all there. Well, what do you think about... He did write a moose. Yeah, he wrote a moose. Do you believe that? Wrote, no, that's true. He wrote a moose in a campaign stuff for his third term. Yeah, I believe that was true. Yeah, they they uh, and there's a couple places around the world where they domesticated or at least trained moose to to uh, you know to, to be able to ride them. Yeah, a buddy of mine did that with an ex girlfriend in college too. Um, you've done her nickname was Moose. She sure was, she, big which gal. is interesting. Yeah, big rig, big big gal. Yeah, they big just rig. had to throw a sheet on her to sleep. Um, you've done thousands you've shot thousands and thousands of hours worth of uh television and stuff like that uh obviously you know you've done roughly over a uh, hundred and something episodes here um did you ever see anything out there that was unexplainable uh as far as like a you know a potential sasquatch or an alien or something like that to go back to what we were talking about earlier because you've spent so much time out there and there's so many cameras that capture all of this stuff was there anything that you saw or a producer saw that you were like hey jim Come and look at this on the monitor real quick. What the fuck is this? Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, when I went, there was one cameraman and myself. There's no producers. I'm the producer. The uh, you know, we're we're just in too remote, too wild of places to carry a a crew. But uh, no, no zero. 
How's that for a, a boring answer? There, there. One time I heard a roar that I couldn't identify because there shouldn't have been an animal that uh, that made that sound in the in the mountains of northern British Columbia in a heavy forested area. And I, I kind of kept that to myself for years because I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it, um, but it, it, it was disconcerting. So I left the area because I didn't know what it was. But it was, it was literally thirty years later when I heard an elk make the exact same sound and I saw the elk do it and the, the, the elk bugle, obviously you're not outdoorsman, but uh, elk bugle and it, it's a high whistling pitch sound that, but the progenitors of our elk in North America come from uh, Kazakhstan and, and they don't, they don't whistle, they roar. So it, that's when I finally put the two and two together and identified the sound, but that that's the closest I've ever come to uh one of your outer-worldly, third-dimension, from-space schmartians or whatever predator guys. So, what do you? What was the explanation, though? It's like uh, he he was using the ancient tongue. He was using the old-school language. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's it. that's exactly right. He was he was speaking in in tongue, yeah. and you know it's probably a genetic trait. You know that that's uh, recessive for whatever reason, and and just this was a mutation that was a throwback to. Uh, to its antecedents from uh, the old world. I do the same thing sometimes. I've got a kind of a, an old school yell, and I, I feel like it was my great grandfather's from World War One. I. I don't share it with many people, but uh, you know, maybe off air, I'll do it. Do it for you if you want to hear it, uh, just in case you ever hear it out in the wild, and you're like, "What is that?" And then you'll know it's yeah, me. Well, well, that sounds good. We'll we'll I'll trade you a, a moose, a cow moose call, and we'll see which one is. Uh, more obnoxious. Oh, can, I, I wait, was shocked. Can he do it? Uh, I, I don't know if he can do it with his own. I mean, it's it's a it's kind of shrill. It's I was I was surprised that that's what they sounded like. To be honest, an elk rather, not a moose. I don't know about a moose. What what does a moose sound like? Yeah, can you do it? Don't they just grunt? Yeah. Well, the the males will be like a. Oh, oh. That's a male. The mm-hmm. the cow. Have you ever heard a cow? Probably not. Bellow. When you've taken its calf away, that's what happens when Mm-mm. every spring when they wean the calves. No, that that's what a cow moose sounds like. Uh, and a mu- uh, uh, an elk is is a beautiful high pitched, mm-hmm. trilling whistle. Yeah, you know, it's very it's shrill. It's, I was I was surprised, very surprised the first time. Like I was out on a hunt and and that happened, and I'm like, what the fuck was that noise? I think it was like 16, maybe. It's like, what was that? It's like, oh, that's an elk. I'm like, I'm sorry, that giant animal makes that weird ass. Like whistling noise. Yeah. That's it was shocking to be honest. Yeah, yeah. There, there. It's a pretty sound. It's an iconic, like a loon in the wilderness. There, uh, where a moose is much more. Moose is Mike Tyson and uh, elk or Brad Pitt. A loon is like a, right? Isn't it kind of like that? Yeah, that's pretty good actually. Not bad at all. Thank There's, you. Uh, Thank you, Jim. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, if being a good loon is a, is a compliment, but uh, that was a heck of a loon <laughs> in, call. In my line of work, it is, friends. Uh, but yeah, yeah my, but- my great-grandfather was very guttural. It was like he was being reborn again, you know? It was, mm, mm. And when he made that noise, I knew it was time to get the fuck out of the garage. You know what I'm saying? He had his own personal shit going on. And that was his space, and I needed to exit. Stage yeah, he left. would. He had a little uh, side room mm-hmm. where he would just break coffee mugs. Yep, 
over one after and over. And uh, it, over. Was, it was incredible, to be honest. Yeah. And then he would grind them all up, make new coffee mugs. Sure would. And then he'd be like, hey, do you want to smell my, my bicycle seat? I just got off of an 18-mile ride. And I was like, no, Grandpa, I don't. I'll leave you alone in the garage. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, by the way, Jim, you're on uh, our television almost all day long uh, on the Outdoor Network. Um, do you get that all the time that you're just, I feel like your shows are just constantly running over and over and over again. That's a good thing. That, that keeps you relevant, doesn't it? It That's, does. Uh, I don't, I, I don't get the channel, so I, I don't, uh, I don't get to see it. I live up in Canada, so there is the sportsman's channel as opposed to the outdoor channel, which there's a sportsman's channel in the States as well. They're all owned by the outdoor group. So. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm looking at your schedule now here because we we do this from time to time. Like just today in America, shit, man, you're on five times today. Do, do you know? Like, are you even aware of that? No, yeah. no I wasn't aware of that. I'll read them off. <laughs> okay, good. yeah. So on the Sportsman's Channel, you're on at 3 a.m. I'm not sure that I'm going to be up for that tonight. Going to be honest. Uh, probably going to have a few uh, brews after this. Uh, don't think Daddy's going to be up for that because I'll probably black out. Uh, my own piss and urine, but uh, the the next one is uh, the outdoor channel you're on, and that is Jim Shockey's hunting adventure. Uh, that's going to be on at twelve thirty at night. That I can catch, okay. Uh, as I'm passing uh, along, uh, probably to meet a dealer or something like that, uh, and then at seven a.m., boom, you're back in the Sportsman's Channel again. This is episode twenty one, season two of. Uh, Looks like Island of the Devil, the Pantagonist. Do you remember that? Patagonia. Patagonia, yes, Argentina. There you go. It was cut off at the end yeah. here. Um, do you remember all of these shows? What is Island of the Devil? Patagonia, or Argentina. Il Diablo, yeah, sure. It was on the border with uh, Chile in Argentina. It was actually disputed land in a, in a lake. So there's three islands out there that they were still... They're not at war, but they're they're not settled. But on that one island was a population of mouflon sheep that had been put there probably 120 years ago or so. So so they weren't indigenous. The mouflon sheep is from Europe. And someone basically transplanted them or you know, maybe it was raising them somewhere and went feral and ended up on that island. So yeah, I made a uh, a bit of an expedition to go onto that island and uh, hunt one of the mouflon sheep. Jim, you've done podcasts before. I've got to read some sponsors. Otherwise, this beautiful set you keep talking about, well, we don't get to keep the lights on and stay on the air. First and foremost, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. 50% off everything in the entire store. They've never had a deal this high in the history of their company. 50% off the mattresses, 50% off the adjustable bases, 50% off the sheets, the pillows, the RV mattresses, the weighted blankets, you name it. Everything is 50% off in the entire store. It does not matter how many items you put in the cart, you're going to get 50% off everything. Now, the beauty of that is at checkout, you're going to see a three-year pay-as-you-go program. No interest as long as you have decent credit over there. So when you pop in that promo code Drinking Bros, it'll give you 50% out of everything, and then you can stretch those payments out over three years. So if you're thinking about getting a, a brand-new bedroom set, now is the time to do it. I don't know how long this is going to last. 
They've never done it before. Usually it'll be a, a bundle package deal with like a, a mattress and an adjustable base or something like that. It's the first time ever they're doing 50% off of everything in the entire store. It doesn't matter if you put 30 items in that cart. They'll give you 50% off and stretch it out for over three years. So whatever you get, put it in there, get out of there, stretch it out over three years, and you can finally enjoy a brand new bedroom set for a very, very low, low price. Take advantage of this deal. Christmas is coming up. Uh, a mattress and, and pillows and all that stuff is a, is a big ticket item. Uh, I, I usually split a gift with my wife every year. So ask your wife or your boyfriend or whoever. I don't judge. Don't care. And, uh, and see if that's something you guys want to do. It's great. I promise you, man. I wouldn't tell you to get one of these goddamn things for the last you know, four and a half years if it wasn't the best. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. And make sure to pop in that promo code drinking bros for 50% off everything in the entire store. Next up, we got firstform.com slash drinking bros. Go get your micro factors, kids. Come on. Come on. These sit on my desk right next to my computer every show just so I don't forget to take them because I'm a dummy. All right? It's not just a multivitamin. It's a convenient daily packet with six products included in it that provides what you need on a daily basis to be healthy. Because let's face it, we don't eat the way we need to in order to fulfill the demands of our body. Without getting the vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients in consistently, we're going to struggle to reach any type of health or fitness goal, whether that's weight loss, putting on muscle, getting lean, or just overall being healthy. Uh, What's in them? Got the antioxidants, the multivitamins, the probiotics, the CoQ10s, uh, the EFAs, was that, that's the uh, essential fatty acids in there, and the fruits and veggies. We're all big meat eaters on this show, and occasionally we forget to eat those fruits and veggies. All of this is in there. If you're an adult male over the age of fucking 25, we're all taking vitamins every day anyways. Stop buying 50 different jars of this stuff and just buy the micro factors from firstform.com slash drinking bros. Huge fan of these guys. Free shipping on orders over $75 when you head on over to firstform.com slash drinking bros. Also, man, when you're over there, they got the best energy drinks in the business over there. So, like, dude, if you get these energy drinks shipped to your house, that's a big boy savings. Uh, check out their protein sticks as well. The breakfast sausages are my favorite. I know I always rave about those. It's probably because I have them every fucking morning. But uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of this company. Uh, their products are always sold out at my gym as well. Gigantic fan of First Form. Go to firstform.com slash bros today to get free shipping on orders over $75. Last but not least, we get hardafseltzer.com. Let's go, baby. We're live in Ohio, kids. We are live in the states of Ohio, starting off with Columbus. Uh, we're in Columbus, Ohio, everywhere around campus, dude. You name it, 14 and 0 liquors, all that stuff down there. Uh, we are in it. Um, we're all over High Street, Summit, Everywhere, bars and restaurants. We're at Urban Meyer's Pint House out there in Dublin. Bubbling at Dublin's out there. Uh, we're in uh, Forno downtown. We're in the Pint House in the short north down there. Rage down there with you guys on Friday night. We're on campus at the Standard Hall. Go on in and get yourself some 8% hard AF seltzers in there. We're everywhere. 
in Columbus, Ohio, and we're moving out to Westerville now. There's a couple locations. Check out our store locator on hardafseltzer.com. Just type in your city, man. So if you're in Ohio and you're like, all right, shit, how close am I? How far am I? Type in your city or zip code and it'll lead you to the nearest store near you. Grab a 12-pack. Support us and support the show. But we're not just in Ohio. We're also in Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, North Carolina. Coming to Wilmington here in a couple weeks down there. Now, we lost in the playoffs, all right? Tampa Bay Rowdies are out as of two days ago. Tampa Bay Rays are out. Miami Marlins are out. But you can pop on over to the Amway Center. Go see the Orlando Solar Bears, the Orlando Magic, any concerts uh, or comedian in there. Dave Chappelle's playing there uh, in a few weeks out there at the Amway Center. Drink some hard AF seltzers inside the Amway Center. Get lit for your favorite sporting event concerts or uh, or comedian. It's up to you. Uh, but join us, dude. And, uh, and then just remember, we're in every single Total Wine pretty much down there in the southeast Support us and support the show. And by the way, we still ship to your house. Yes, it's a little more expensive, obviously, because we're shipping liquid. Uh, but we still ship right to your house there And I think, uh, 35 states now. Uh, every state we're in, we won't ship to that state anymore. Uh, hopefully, we'll be in all 50 soon enough. But uh, we will st- still ship right to your house. And again, it really supports us and supports the show. So buy some Hard AF Seltzer. Go to hardafseltzer.com. Check the store locator and see where we are nearest you. Yeah, that's wild. Because I'm going to read the next one. They're all so wild and different. Uh, Jim Shockey's Uncharted is going to be airing here uh, tomorrow morning. And that is from Meat Eaters and Papua New Guinea. And that's part two. I didn't see part one. Forgive me. But part two is going to be airing tomorrow morning. What were you doing there? You know, I I went to Papua New Guinea. I mean, it's one of the most fascinating places culturally. So I'm always looking for art, uh, ethnocentric art for the museum or Hand of Man Museum. But I I, uh, went, I took boats all the way up the Fly River to... uh, to the headwaters of the Fly River, to uh, there, there's a, a type of a deer there that uh, that I wanted to to hunt. So so you know, and they live in the they live in the the jungles at the headwaters of the Fly River. It's the only place that they they are the Javanrusa deer, and they were introduced as well. Then then we also went up the Sepik River in uh, dugout canoes and and up most of the tributaries as well. To see the the, um, I mean all the villages, the people there, and and also to hunt water buffalo that were released as early as Captain Cook's time, actually. So they and they did that for meat to make sure there was meat on those places for them. But uh, they're feral; they're um, not indigenous species to those areas. So yeah, the Sepik River. Yeah, we were in New Ireland as well with the baining people on the volcanoes uh we actually climbed the one volcano over rabul uh, about three months before it literally vaporized and it, the volcanists wouldn't go up the mountain or wouldn't go up the volcano they gave us the instruments to take up and they stayed 20 miles away and watched from another mountaintop because they they knew it was going to go they didn't know when <laughs> so yeah Pap- papua new guinea is a, a fascinating fascinating place uh and, and again the hunt isn't the animal is not important it's you know, culturally and just experiencing the, the adventure and the expedition. 
Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's <clears throat> so I'm not particularly religious, but I the first college I went to, I went to seminary because I thought, you know, studying how people tried to uh, understand their place in the universe was a really good way to study history. But I think to study natural history, going out on hunts like that, and because you have to learn so much about that area and about the species, where they came from. Like you're talking about not just how they're there in that particular climate or our geographical region now, but where they came from historically. I imagine it kind of had that same effect for you. Uh, and, and you've always kind of been a, a history buff, for lack of a better phrase. Oh, 100%. And, and you, you know, if you go in objectively with, you know, leave all your cultural perceptions behind and your, your judgments behind and just go to learn to embed yourself with these people, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It, it really creates a tolerance in, um, and, and you realize that, that right and wrong, we all know inherently what's right and wrong, but, uh, but a lot of what we think is right and wrong, why we hate this person or hate that person is just cultural perspective. You realize that there's smart people on both sides with, with just differing opinions about what they're seeing and, and what is and what should be. But, uh, you know, and that causes hate. So when you travel, and I think it's uh, Samuel Clements, I'll paraphrase him, you know, travel is the death of bigotry and ignorance. Mm. So you, you travel, you, you, you become tolerant. You realize, oh, I'm not so right as I thought I was. As long as you don't go in with, you know, bringing your Mars bars and uh, your potato chips because you don't want to eat the, the grubs and, and uh walrus tongue or whatever they're eating wherever you are so yeah i think i think it's a a truly valuable thing to travel and explore other other cultures i don't want to see other worlds because we're all part of this pretty small world now but uh yeah i think it's really really important but sometimes you got to embrace the local food like i usually if i'm going out on something like that i usually take a bunch of pemmican or something but uh because i'm not you know i'm not really a fan of sugar but um, sometimes you got to eat weird shit, right? Yeah, I eat, I eat everything when I'm in those countries. Though, I mean, uh, you know, wa- rotten walrus, egonuk, it's called uh, up in the Arctic. Is uh, you know the what do they call that? Uh, Suostromi, the the fermented herring, the fermented mm-hmm. whale up in Point Hope, Alaska. The you know the I mean grubs, scorpions, grasshoppers, termites. I've eaten it all. The, the only time I politely declined was in the central africa republic car uh, the the chief in the local village was having a a big feast and he they uh, killed a couple of baboons and they gave me two of the baboon hands cooked up you know on, on a plate mm. and, and that that was the one time i said you know and i just begged off saying uh, my tummy wasn't feeling good and uh, and i i didn't feel like eating that day but you know i didn't want to offend them but i i also yeah, baboon hounds are just a little too close to, to home. Why? Uh, did you have a baboon as a child? No, it just, there's so many humans that when I look at them and I hear them talk, I think that they're baboons. Understandable. I get, look, I get that a lot, but aren't the, aren't the get, but the little get, hands are get, tiny. You get my point. You get my point, right? Oh, I sure do. It's me. Uh, I understand that. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. To quote Taylor Swift, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, but uh, how big are the hands? Are they tiny? I, I picture baboon hands to be really tiny. I think those are kind no, of like ba- a, like a, an app. No. Yeah. 
No, a chakma baboon can weigh 125 pounds. It's it's big. I don't know how big your heads, but not as big as you know probably some of us. But it's their their heads are big, and their 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 nails are. Imagine uh, you know Halloween when you want to make a witch with those ugly long nails, and uh, that's that's what they look like. They're and they're hard and nails because they're digging all the time for roots and tearing little animals apart. Whatever they can, they'll eat anything. So no, baboon hands are, they're not as big as human hands, but they're certainly uh, would be as large as, uh, say, uh, you know, a smaller lady's hands, but, but not elegant and, and graceful. They're, they're made for surviving. So, so you're out on the finger foods. I get it. I'll write that down. Uh, if you're having apps, my, you're a mozzarella stick guy, not a finger yeah. food type of guy. So uh, that's fine. Um, yeah. Jim, your your show, uh, Hunting Adventures, uh, is the longest running hunting show on television. Eighteen seasons. Uh, now it ended right around COVID. Was it because of COVID, or was it because of this book that we were talking about at the beginning? Yeah, it was because my my international travel. I uh, curtailed that as of October two thousand nineteen. So that that we we had shows. The show still ran. Mm-hmm. for a couple of years but that's because we had shows in the can um that were already recorded and we just released them but uh but no it wasn't had nothing to do with covid okay gotcha uh yeah i didn't know why stop at that point because uh you know it seems like you just loved it um was it the book then were you saying all right i've got to slow down and i've got to write this book yeah it because i was running out of time i mean uh all of us have a ticket out of here. We don't know when that is. I lost my wife a month ago at, you know, 66 years of age, the healthiest person you ever want to meet. And, and who, who, who would know who would predict that? So we have no way of knowing when our tickets about to be cashed in. And, and I needed to, as much as I could control it, make sure that I got finished the project that I started 50 years before. You know, I had to finish my novel. So, I, you know, to travel around is a lot of fun, and it's it would have been irresponsible for my life goal. I understand. Yeah, it's one of those tricky things. I've had this conversation with a lot of people of uh, when to get out at the, the top of your game and it not be sad or tragic. Obviously, in your case, you know, potentially mauled to death out there. Uh, but it's hard to know when to say when. Um, I mean, you and your wife were often known as uh, – uh, hunting world's first family to to a certain extent at that point, and then you just lost your wife. Um, is it kind of difficult to to navigate where you're going from here after this book comes out? <laughs> you think? I, yeah, I, mean, I lost my I lost my soulmate of 39 years, 113 days, 14 and a half hours. You know, my soulmate. I never cheated on her. I never. It was it was a fairy tale. So yeah, it's, it was a month ago. So you, difficult. Yeah, that's that's one word for sure. But uh, you know, you live day to day. Every day is precious, and I'll get to week to week at some point here, and uh, month to month, and then maybe I can answer what I'll be doing in a year from now. In a year from now, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I've never been through it. Uh, nobody that uh, has ever gone through this can can imagine. So yeah, it's difficult, uh, but. You know, it would be a disservice, dishonoring the memory of of that 
joy of life that we had for all those decades to, you know, sit on the ground and throw a tantrum and scream and yell and be depressed and feel sorry for myself. So I won't do that. Uh, and I'll, I'll move forward uh, with my life and with this, you know, sequel to Call Me Hunter and, and uh, who knows, who knows beyond that. But yeah, I can't look backwards. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's why I ask. Um, I'm actually coming up on my 10 year anniversary now uh, with my wife and I couldn't imagine being married for that long losing her and then what I would do continuing on with life. Now I've got kids uh, that are, you know, going to grow and all, all that other stuff. And then, you know, potentially grandkids at some points. Uh, but I look at it as, is um, something that would ultimately be so heartbreaking. I would just imagine it being hard to move on or do anything. Uh, I'll go, I'll go back to my great grandfather uh, to be honest with you. So he was, uh, he passed away at 88 years old. Uh, him and my great grandmother were married for I think sixty eight years, and wow. when she passed away, uh, we couldn't find him for like a month. We we couldn't find him for four weeks. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the show before. Um, we couldn't find him for four weeks, and uh, uh, family members started calling each other and things like that, trying to figure out where he was. And uh, one figured it out and drove back to the grave site, and he was sleeping on top of the grave. Uh, there was a bottle of whiskey next to him and, and, uh, and some other stuff. And they, they were asking him, you know, why, why he was there and why he was doing it. And he's like, I've never left this woman's side for 68 years. I don't know how to go on with my life and how to not be next to her every single day. Uh, and that's, that's kind of why I brought it up. It's, it's gotta be so incredibly difficult. It's, Man, I just, I don't know how you, you move on. Uh, you're a brave dude. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I thought I'd ask because she was pretty synonymous with you, especially in this world to everybody who knows you guys. And, uh, and it must be incredibly painful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's, that's, uh, uh, that's one way to say it. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, I, I know what life is and I know what death is. You know, I've met a death many, many times in my life. So I, I know that life begets death, begets life, begets death, and none of us is a cosmic event. So we're, it's going to happen to you. It'll happen to your wife. It'll happen to your children. It'll happen to me. It'll, it's every one of us. None of us are going to get out of this thing. So, it, so it's to think any other way is being naive and, and certainly not common sense. And, and to let that tear you apart after something that's as natural as birth it, it makes no sense either and and why you ask yourself why um, because mostly it's because you feel sorry for yourself what you're missing you know and and i will i refuse to do that because it, that again would denigrate the the memory of that that time we had together so so no i won't you know i, I all due respect to your grandfather there's many different ways of grieving and everybody apparently has a different way of grieving now, mm -hmm. i I, uh, I can certainly write a book afterwards on on my type of grieving and uh, what sorrow is and what you know i can define sorrow now i assure you but um i don't think there's a right or a wrong way for anybody to do that if that was your grandfather's way of <coughs> of lamenting the the loss of his soulmate then you know have at it i think that's 
you know, imagine this like Grey Fires Bobby. You guys are too young to remember that movie, but uh, you know, to stay on the the grave of of the friar after you know he passed away for all those years. I mean, that that that's honoring a memory, and it's a it's a way of dealing with grief. And and we all, I think it's uh, Jordan Peterson said, we all know somebody who's grieving close by. You know, one degree of separation removed from us, and we're all going to grieve at some point so yeah again i i've just seen death i've seen a lot of death and i've seen a lot of life and i know that none of us is uh, above any of it so so you know what what good does it do for me to to uh throw a tantrum or, or to be be depressed about it or, or any, even feel sorry for myself no i i lived with an angel for almost four decades an angel like truly truly an angel and i mean inside outside this lady had never never had a bad word for anybody. I never saw her negative. Always she smiled until minutes before she passed away. And smile a genuine, beautiful, you know, peace to the world smile that um and that's why when she did pass away there were there were literally tens of thousands of condolence messages to us. Tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's not hyperbole, that's the truth. She she was a very special lady. So I yeah, you know, death is is just as natural as life, and and without it, there's no room for the next generation of anything. And there's no nature doesn't keep things the way they are right now. You know, your set is beautiful, but it's not going to be like that in a thousand years. All that stuff will just be dust, and and are covered in you know two hundred feet of, of earth. I mean, the, nature just doesn't allow things to stay static and the same. And you know, we try and make that in our world make things the way they were because they were better back then no no nature doesn't work like that and we are instruments of nature's change in this you know all this environmental stuff going on so it's yeah it it, it just is what it is and uh and you know it's what can i do i can't change anything so you move forward just keep keep going forward yeah uh and seeing so much life and death in in your life, like you were saying, you know, out in the wilderness and everything else, are you a spiritual man, or or do you just believe that that's just part of our life cycle in the earth? There, I'm spiritual, absolutely. Um, if you if you see if you stand on a mountaintop and you see a sunrise and and you feel the air and you see the animals and the the beauty it's impossible not to be spiritual it's impossible um you know and i I don't know you know there's religion is a different thing but um you know there's there's no doubt that there's 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 parts of this existence that that is just above our pay grade no matter how we want to define it and we need to define it as human beings because we like to slot things that's what I was saying earlier. People like to put things in order so they can make sense of something. But um, yeah, spirituality, yeah, if, if you're open at all, if you're open at all, you, you can't not be spiritual if you're out in nature and, and just are willing to see, to actually see. So is it uh, for you personally, is it one God? Is it, you know, the Bible? Is it uh, or just a spiritual uh, being or that there is a higher power out there there's really really smart people that believe 
there's one God, you know, our God, uh, the the Christian God. There's there's really really smart people that believe, you know, there's Muhammad and Allah, and there's you know they believe in Shiva, and, and there's really smart people that believe in many gods. Um, there's many smart people that believe in animism and paganism, and and so you're asking me to judge. You know what's right or what's wrong. Remember what I said earlier that uh, right and wrong is is as we perceive it is often culturally a cultural perspective. So you know I'm not smart enough to know. You know I'm not smart enough to know. And and uh, there'll be people that say, well, that's not faith, but but it is faith because I do have. Uh, you, you think all of this around us was created by just pure happenstance you know i mean yeah I, I agree you give you give an infinite number of monkeys an infinite number of typewriters and they'll write war and peace it's, it's a novel by tolstoy very very good novel um you know that's what they say an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters so this is an infinite number of of just cells joining together to make all this come on you know it's not possible you know, I, I, and I don't know, I'm just not smart enough to know, and the scientists aren't smart enough to know yet, and neither are the theologians to, to define it as, as deeply as they're convinced and of their convictions. They're, they're, um, you know, my observations are that there's a lot of smart people that are, believe different variations of that, and, and um, who knows, the second coming, maybe that's going to happen, and, and it'll answer a lot of questions. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not smart enough to answer that question. I hope it happens soon, don't you? The second coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if it goes the way Revelation says, it's going to be pretty fucking brutal. Really? Which I'm into. Okay. You know? What is it? What do they say? Um. So the Antichrist will lead an army against an army of uh, angels, I guess. Okay. Um. There'll be seven years of good time, seven years of tri- uh, tribulation after, mm-hmm. I believe. It's going to be, and then Megiddo is going to open up, like this area in Jerusalem is going to open up, the ground will open up and start swallowing people and shit. I mean, it could all be metaphorical, right? Because the, the, <clears throat> John, the revelator that wrote all this stuff, was on an island. He was banished to an island called Patmos at the time, and it's well known for its psilocybin mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So, decent chance he was high out of his fucking gourd when he wrote all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's some interesting tidbits in there, like uh, kind of described the mechanics of a helicopter in the first century AD, around 90 AD. That's pretty interesting. Well, did you see the last Indiana Jones? Uh, no, I, no, I yeah. can't watch that shit. He did go back in time at the end of that. No reason, Jim. I don't need to, to it, watch but... Indiana Jones because I can just pick up the phone and talk to the real Indiana Jones who we're having a conversation with right now. That's true. I, it, like it, he's a real dude with a real fucking museum. I don't I need know. to fucking watch that movie. I know. Uh, tell everybody about the Hand of Man Museum. Yeah, it, it's uh, 17,500 square feet of it's absolutely packed full of uh, cultural artifacts and, and art, ethnographic, uh, ethnocentric pieces, idiosyncratic. Uh, I mean, there's totem poles, there's, and there's natural history. The, there's dinosaur skeletons and woolly mammoth skeleton and woolly rhino and megalodon teeth everywhere. I mean, it, it, it's, it's 
kind of like a, a, an old Victorian cabinet of curiosities in the curatorial style, except it's, it's state of the art. There's little numbers and everybody has an iPad and there's videos. We actually produce videos that tell the story, two to three minute videos of uh, the various objects. So anything that anybody's interested in, they just plug a number and they don't have to stand there and read a great big dissertation on this piece. And, and, and part, part of that is my belief that entertainment should always be first in a museum and education comes as a, as a, as a byproduct of good entertainment. So you entertain the kids, they'll watch those and they learn. So, th so that's how we've, we've curated this museum. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it, you would be shocked because whatever you're imagining, it's bigger and more than what you're thinking. And people are, you just Google the, the reviews on it. Um, it. It's pretty astounding. We, like I say, we had over 26,000 visitors last year and uh, we'll hit 30,000 this year. And, and the response is, uh, it's been amazing. It's not politicized. So it's not a museum that's politically correct, that, that's been sanitized to make it politically correct, to fit in whatever the, the social point of view is at this particular time in history, which is a, is a terrible thing for university or for museums because you, you, you can't whitewash, whitewash history. History is history. Museums are about history. You learn from history. You know, it can be about politics, but they should never be politicized. So this museum is all private, uh, you know, out of my wife's in my pocket. Um, we're donating it all to a society, foundation, the, the land, the building, the contents, and uh, giving it an endowment to cover expenses for the next 40 years so that I grew up in a trailer park. I couldn't come in with a $1 cover charge. And, and uh, for the next 40 years, anybody can come in there whether they have money or not and it's quite amazing when you do that when you give people something of quality the you know the 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 words of karl marx which you know but don't quote me that i quoted karl marx but i'm going to you know from those according to their ability to those according to their need and it's amazing how people step up to the plate people that have money give more money people that don't have money have a family of four kids that can't afford it they don't, you know, they don't have to donate, but the other people that have money do donate, and and yeah, and we're giving it all away too, you know. So you know, hopefully that will set an example for other people that have have money that uh, can just do things for the for you know as a good citizen, you know, for the community, and that that's so that's our hand of man museum of natural history, cultural arts, and conservation, north of Victoria on Vancouver Island, about one hour north. What uh, I'm curious, what kind of politically correct shit's going on in museums? Well, you know, up in British Columbia, our our, uh, our government, in its wisdom, is uh, you know, quote unquote, decolonizing our our Royal British Columbia Museum. So the they had a display. What was a a, a reproduction of Captain Cook's little ship? No sailing ship. So you could go on, you could see exactly what Captain Cook sailed around this world in, you know, same, same size, everything. Um, that's all been taken out because, you know, we're, we're again trying to sanitize history because what happened to the indigenous people was, you know, Captain Cook came and, and very shortly thereafter, so did smallpox and influenza. And it, it was a, 
it, read read my novel. It's you know, call me Hunter. It's it's in the novel. It was a time of the greatest sorrow, but Captain Cook essentially was was um, the start of it. So so you cleanse history of Captain Cook, remove his ship out of there, out of the museum. So suddenly he doesn't exist. No, it, it still happened. You, you you cannot make amends for what happened, and we're living where we are in North America today because of Captain Cook and. You know Christopher Columbus and Alvarez and the whole works of them. So you know we we can't we can't cleanse that we can't change that, but we can look at it and hopefully learn from that. So next time if we find a planet, you know Uranus, and it's full of people or some kind of beings that we're a little more cognizant that we could be bringing in a bunch of viruses that wipe out the population. So you know that, that that's what's happening to the museums nowadays. Is is there at least in our part of the world, are de- decolonizing to reconcile the the, um, the grave horrors that we perpetrated upon the indigenous cultures. But, you know, museums aren't the place to do that in. It's uh, Museums are about history, not a sanitized, cleansed version of history. I like how in Drinking Bros, out of all the planets, you decide to use Uranus as the example here. Uh, proud of you for that one. <laughs> Um, it was pure coincidence. I'm sure it is. Gas giants. So probably yeah. the moons are where the life would come from. Probably. Probably. But we don't know that yet. It could it come directly from Uranus. We we never know. Uh, but with that, yeah. With uh, I know they're erasing you know Captain Cook stuff up there. They're doing the same thing with uh, Gary Busey movies in America. It's you know, look, it happened. It's a part of our history, and let's let the movies play and live on. Uh, I want to go into some of your awards here that you've won in in your life uh, and ask if you, one, remember any of them, two, what were they for? Uh, Safari Club International Awards, you were uh, fourth pinnacle of achievement award in 2008. Uh, What was that for? I I don't know. I I never kept any of the awards. I donated anything like that to museums. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. uh, I, I didn't, because someone recognizes an accomplishment. Um, yeah, that's not what I, that's not why I, <laughs> why I, I did what I did in my life. That That's recognition from outside. And it's, I think it's, it's great, but, uh, but it's not, I don't have any trophies sitting around my house. So like the Zenith award in 2009, you don't remember being there, or what it was for? Cause that sounds important. I don't, it's an, it's, I know it's a, it's a big award for SCI. But it's I don't I don't I do not recall it. No. Okay. Uh, C.J. McElroy Award in 2009. Who is C.J. Yeah, McElroy? That, Forgive me. Yeah, that that one's a little bit. Um, you know, uh, that's an important one because C.J. McElroy was the founder of Safari Club International, which mm. is probably the um, the most powerful uh, lobby group on behalf of wildlife at least from the conservation management point of view. So, the, you know, there's other organizations that lobby to stop hunting, but conservation in terms of wildlife management, using hunting as a tool to protect the wildlife species around the world, and it's counterintuitive, but it actually works. You give animals value in those remote places, they, they, you turn them into more than just a hamburger running across a field. You know, if they're worth $1,000, they're not going to kill that animal. They're going to kill one of their goats, it's worth $100. 
and they're going to eat that and they'll sell the animal for a thousand dollars to a hunter you know there's people that find that reprehensible but it's it's just the reality of economics 101 i mean uh, you you have to deal with poverty first before you're going to solve the wildlife issue around the world. So C.J. McElroy Royd, he, he was the one that founded um, the SCI uh, club, and uh, you know so that 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 one's a very important. I don't remember the year, but I know I won it. It was 2009. I remember it. Um, and I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm reading it here, but uh, I mean, there's some crazy ones here, like the World Hunting Award in 2010, the International Hunter of the Year in 2012. You just chuck that in a museum? You didn't even keep it in your house? Or, it belongs in the museum. Uh, on the toilet or anything? No? It belongs in the museum. No, it, What's it going to do? Put it in yeah, his house? They, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't uh, you know, they give a very, very expensive bronze away for that award. And I felt that rather than take the bronze, uh, why not use that money for conservation? So I, I told them, don't you know, keep that bronze for someone else down the road not don't don't use it for me so it saved the organization money and and hopefully money that goes towards uh, conservation so no i do not have the uh that, that really expensive fancy bronze at home okay yeah i didn't I know what the, the, yeah. yeah i never took i never took possession of it i assume that they did exactly what i what i asked them to do uh 1989 three-point contest winner uh that was i, I think against uh Reggie Miller that year? Probably did, Larry did you Bird. Beat, yeah, did you beat Reggie Miller that year in the three-point shootout? Um, that was a big one. <laughs> that was a big one. No, I'm kidding. Your accolades are, are just endless here, uh, and it's pretty crazy to, to look back at your life. I'm going to be honest, Jim. I feel like a goddamn loser after talking to you today and going through your whole history. I mean, it's nuts. Uh, now, obviously, uh, unless your book hits number one in the world, you'll never do that, which I have. Uh, but we'll see. In the meantime, tell everybody where they can get the book. I, I think it's just the way if they Google uh, "Call Me Hunter," it, it'll take you to Amazon. It'll, it'll take you to Simon and Schuster, Barnes and Noble chapters. They're they're all selling it. Uh, so I, I, it's an Audible. It's coming in. Or it's already out in uh, you know Kindle format, digital. So I, I I think it's pretty hard not to be able to buy it if you're looking for it. Plus anybody's local independent bookstore they can walk in i saw it was on the the british columbia ferries and their in their bookstore so so it's uh yeah it, it, it's it's all over the place right now yeah and scott brick did the audiobook by the way the guy that does greg Hurwitz no nowhere man novels uh and and a lot of tom clancy stuff as well is really good. really mm-hmm. look at you jim yeah. you're you you're yeah. a big boy fancy author now uh that's Congratulations, man. This is awesome. Look, you're a fascinating guy. Uh, everybody loves you around the world, I feel like. You're one of the last true real men we actually have left here. Uh, now's the point in the show we get to this thing called the Drinking Bro of the Week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the Drinking Bro of the Week to? Well, I'd give it to my father, but uh, you know, he was a teetotaler. So, so maybe if you have a non-alcoholic beer, how about one of those would, would pass that on to my dad? For sure. Yeah. I, you don't have to drink around here to be a drinking bro. Uh, a teetotaler. I don't know that anybody's ever used um, that on the show before. What's a teetotaler, Dan? Uh, it's someone who doesn't drink. Oh, really? 
Which is exactly what I mean. Just a little bit of context. Yeah, but that's you know you you hear it and then you put two and two together and you're like, I don't know that I've ever I've ever heard of that. Usually it's sober now. Oh hey, look at that dude. He's sober. But sober means you were an alcoholic and then you stopped drinking. Teetotaler is some typically like a straight edge person that doesn't put any kind of weird shit into their. Oh no shit! Was he a straight edge like that? My dad? Yeah. I don't, I don't think yeah. they called him that back in the whatever time. Yeah, well, they called him teetotalers, yeah. which we're learning now, Dan. Yeah. Okay? That's that's history is what we're learning now. Mm-hmm. But for a teetotaler, what <laughs> does that mean? Hey, no booze, no drugs, no nothing? That's pretty much what a teetotaler means. Yeah, if my dad was here, he'd... Uh, He'd make it real clear what he what he what it means. He, I mean, it, it, you know, they, they you know they grew up in a harder time. It was a harder time. You know, one out of ten women wives mothers died in childbirth. You, you didn't have the luxury of love, and you didn't you know dirty thirties the the depression era. You know they they had to work. They had to work on the farm. The this convenient social family virtue is what John Ken, Kenneth Galbraith called it. Uh, you know, they had to have children to be able to run the farms, and and so childrens were were essentially slave labor. So so that's why my father, that was his influence. So no music, no dancing, no drugs for damn sure, mm-hmm. and no no alcohol. That was frowned upon. Sports, yeah, sports. Yeah. That was that was the one, you know, one virtuous thing you could do with whatever amount of spare time you had. But I think it was more for. Because you were still working your body and making it, honing it into the machine it needed to be to work 16-hour days uh, pretty well all year long. You just also described the plot of Footloose, by the way, which is fun. Oh, which is a great movie. Patrick Swayze, excuse me. Great, great. Yeah. Uh, he's a great man. I think Kevin Bacon was in that one, Kay Banks. Wait, who, which oh, one is Patrick Swayze in? Uh, Patrick, Patrick Swayze was in Dirty Dancing. Roadhouse. Oh, Dirty Dancing. Road, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Roadhouse. And Roadhouse too. Ah, oh, Roadhouse, the best. God damn, how good it's is Roadhouse? Awesome. Yeah. Do you have any jeans that yeah. tight? Do I which? Do you have any jeans as tight as uh, the ones he wore, Patrick Swayze wore, in Roadhouse? Because that's the tightest jeans I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Ever. Not. That's, that's not Look at those, Jim go. Shock. He's yeah. got. He's got a tight jean, friend. He's he ready. Go. I don't know, man. You could see his whole dick and balls, Patrick Swayze's. Like there, there was nothing to the imagination there. He painted those things on. I think I caught a ball, one of Jim's balls up there when he lifted that leg, dude. I bet, I bet if I took you down to a saloon tonight and just roundhouse the fuck yeah, out of people, oh, a couple yeah. of people started getting lippy with us. Me and you would absolutely rock some people, Jim. You guys saw that I held my leg up there? Sure did. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw a ball. That's fine. I saw Jim Shockey's ball. It's pretty cool. I can, go home, I can tell my kids that today. What'd you do at work? Ah, Dad saw Jim Shockey's yeah. ball, dude. He lifted up his There's going to be another awesome. award in the mail pretty soon. <laughs> sure, sure is. <laughs> One of those big trophies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real big game, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> the book is called Call Me Hunter. It is out everywhere. Uh, Jim Shockey, this was an absolute pleasure for us. I don't know if it was for you, but we had a lot of fun today. I hope you enjoyed well, once it. Once I- once I sort of got, uh, you know, past the what kind of animal do I want to get my guts torn apart with, <laughs> then then I, I I started getting with your program. It just uh, particularly what kind of animal want my guts torn out? I don't know yeah. what kind of animal. Puma. But, I'm still uh, going Puma. That's uh, no, fun. It's entertainment, guys. It is absolutely, uh, and, and that's what all of this is all about. At the end of the day, and look, 
I don't care if you punched a rhino in the face. I think you did, and you just don't want to tell people because you respect the animals. He doesn't want to get that hate mail again. No, but I think one of them pissed you off, and uh, you gave it a right hook. That's just a guess, Jim. It is. Okay? I love you. Well, if it, it's that one will just leave for everybody's imagination. <laughs> yeah, we sure will. Has another man ever said I love you to you like this today, another stranger? Uh, a man to me? Yeah. Look how good looking I am. What do you think? Of course. That's what I'm going to say. Hey, Jim Shockey, I love you, okay? I want to to get off air today and say I love you, Jim Shockey. This was a blast and a pleasure. Uh, Go buy the book. Call Me Hunter is out everywhere. You know him. He's on your screen 50 times a day here in America, although he doesn't know uh, because he's up in the the middle of nowhere up there. But uh, great man, uh, great book. And uh, we appreciate you being on Drinking Bros today. For D'Anthony D'Anthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone. Love you, Jim. <laughs>